Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 24, where we revisit and rank Spectre. After being spotted at the organization's secret meeting, Bond speeds off in his Aston Martin, where he gets to experience 009's taste in music. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Spectre to our rankings. Uh, because Bond, yeah, he throws the man on the table, everyone starts running away, he kind of gets out of the building, he very quickly just like smashes through the window, starts running on the roof, some people are shooting at him, but he kind of just gets away very quickly, and he goes to the front of the building, and he gets in his car and starts driving off, a few more people are driving at Bond, because he like starts by driving backwards, and then he's being shot at, and then he spins around and he drives away, and we see another sports car follow him and yeah it's mr hinks although in all my notes <laughs> i'm gonna ask you this first actually what okay. did you call him in your notes uh hinks oh you actually knew his name and wrote it down yeah i think so yeah oh what a nerd i uh, sorry i'm sorry yeah i just called him thumbs the whole time thumbs <laughs> I know. it's like hey well, it's all thumbs over here hey thumbs <laughs> well we had jaws who bit people to death why not thumbs that's true. <laughs> if this was a Roger Moore film, he would have been called Thumbs. That's true. And then Roger Moore would have a great line about, you know, like giving a thumbs up or something. Yeah. It would yeah, all be like, there. oh, there's got to be like hitchhiking, something there, or Thumbs. Mm-hmm. There's something there. but There is. Uh, but yeah, so Thumbs gets in the car uh, and starts driving after Bond. And we go on to Bond. So we're still in Rome at night. So we see Bond getting onto one of the main streets with Hinks. I'm going to have to call him Hinks properly, aren't I? But that's that's going to be tricky because all my okay. notes says thumbs. <laughs> we'll forgive you if you let a, a few a few flum, flums. I can't speak. Few a few flums. <laughs> thumbs slip. It's fine. My notes say Bond get on gets onto a more modern road. Thumbs right behind him. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm reading. Right. Okay. There could be some problems here. Could be. So yeah. So Bond is driving through Rome again. He is on a more modern road at this point and. Yeah, Hinks is right behind him. So Bond starts looking at the switches, the ones that we saw before in the car, like exhaust and air, and he then flips one of them, and it two turrets come out of the front, but then it says the ammunition isn't loaded. And Bond's like, ah, oh. so he can't fire his guns because there's no ammunition. I think he might say something is a prototype, maybe something like that. Um, so Bond then turns off into a smaller street, and he accidentally turns the music on, and it says playing music for 009. And I can't remember what music plays, but he's all like, oh, this is bad. It might be I just some it, classical or something. I think it's Sinatra. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So it should have been clown music. We all know. <laughs> yeah. We all know <laughs> what it should have been. <laughs> yeah. Duh, 009. Every time. Uh. <laughs> Everybody loves a clown. That's a song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turn that Send off. in the clowns. That's there, the there it is. <laughs> Isn't that Frank Sinatra? Isn't that actually him? Uh, I don't know where that's from. Although Judy Dench did sing that in a video I remember seeing. It could be that version. There we are. It's all wrapping up. Judy Dench singing Send in the Clowns. That's what 009 likes to listen to. It was a pers- It was a Christmas present from M to, to yeah. 009. <laughs> well, she got the Christmas sorted out for Mitchell, first and yeah. foremost, and then 009. Yeah, he's a clown. He'll love this. And then he that will. was it. Nice MP3 for him. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, Bond drives down like a small alleyway um, and he manages to like turn down another street and it looks like he's lost him. He's checking in his mirror and the car's not there anymore. 
But Bond gets stuck behind quite a small and slow car. Oh no, it might be like a Micra or something. It's like a very small car. Um, and we see in that car there's like a old Italian stereotype man singing to his Italian music. And Bond starts just like getting impatient, swerving behind and trying to get past, but can't. So he just starts ramming him. And he starts like going faster and faster. So his car's going faster. Like they're both going faster because of Bond pushing him. And the Italian man's like, oh, mamma mia, in the front. And they go very fast. And they get to the end of the alleyway. And Bond lets that car go forward while he drives off. And the car kind of parks in a perfect, almost perfectly in a in a space. But it slightly knocks into a pole. So the Italian man, he initially looked relieved. But then the airbag goes off. <laughs> oh, silly man. Oh, oh, goodness. Goodness me. So... Yeah, th- there's quite a bit of comedy in this. Uh, did you laugh once during this scene? Can I just ask you? Mm, no. Oh, mamma mia. Oh. Mamma mia, mamma mia. I didn't. I didn't. I try and think maybe later on in, in the chase, but no, nothing there either. So we then cut to Money Penny. So Bond calls Money Penny, and we see she's in bed. She's on her laptop, like writing something, seems to still be working even though it's late, and Bond kind of talks to Moneypenny, says, all the attacks are linked. The attacks in Hamburg and Tunisia, I believe, they're all linked. It was all the same organisation. Um, so Moneypenny then starts saying, I, I did the check of the Pale King, and I think we then hear, like, she walks away, uh, but we hear somebody in bed being like, where are you going? Mm. And Money Penny just responds like, "Ah, oh, it's just my boss that needs something." And Bond's like, "Who's that?" And she's like, "It's no one, just a friend." And Bond's like, "At this time of night?" And she's like, "It's called a, a life. You should try it sometime." She's not wrong. It's not. It's not a bad point. <laughs> Get some furniture first, and then uh, go from there. Yeah. Uh, so Bond is still kind of driving around in the car. And she then says, the Pale King is Mr. White from Quantum. Oh. And Bond's like, of course, Mr. White. <laughs> Did you think the way he said the line was really weird? It was very over the top for some yeah. reason. He's like, of yeah, co- I... <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Good, because I felt that too when, when he said that. It's like, they're so off about his delivery there. Yeah, we do hear this audio play later, so that might be the reason. Oh, do we? Yeah, like they play it back. I think C plays it to him. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that might be why, but even then, it's a very odd delivery. Um, So she then explains that Mr. White was last seen in Austria uh, and gives him a location. So at this point, Mr. Hicks in the car catches up to Bond and we see Moneypenny is just kind of like still on the phone, kind of looking in the fridge, I guess midnight snack. So Bond's still on the phone and it's just like, can you check another name? Franz Obenhauser. Obenhauser. Um, and check for files after his death. And she's all like, after his death? Um, but doesn't really kind of get to go much further than that. Um, so Bond and Hinks then reach a, a different road, like a bit more of an open road. And they're kind of like chasing each other, swerving side to side. They go around some corners. And I think, again, this is more like trying to show off Rome a little bit. I don't really know Rome all that well, but it does seem like some of these locations are probably quite famous. I'm trying to show that off a little bit. So they then kind of like go round and head towards the river. 
and they kind of go down a load of stairs and they end up driving along the river uh, where I'm assuming people would normally be walking but it's the dead of night so nobody's there. So they're both driving along this river uh, but up ahead the road is blocked by some rubble so they kind of go up on the incline and they're both kind of at an angle driving along. Um, and then they go back down. They only do that for a little bit. So Bond's like, well, let's try another switch. And he hits one of them and it spits a load of fire backwards at the other car. And it causes his car to uh, catch on fire. So Bond then tries a different switch. And it like straps him into the, the chair, like locks him all in. And it ejects him. It's basically an injector seat. So he ejects at the last minute. The Aston Martin goes into the river and we see Hinks uh, park up, stop, and he just takes a look while the car is sinking uh, into the river. And nearby we see a load of people watching from afar, looking down, and as we're kind of behind them, we see Bond land in a parachute, and he kind of quite suavely walks forward, takes off the parachute, and there's a worker there, so he just says, good evening, and uh, keeps on walking. So that was the Rome chase. It's... uh, well, it's not very good, is it? It's rubbish. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really pants. I, I I remember this being one of the things that that got to me watching it the first time, uh, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, yeah, actually, that's still just as bad as I remember. And I think, well, the the, the main reason why it's bad is it. I don't know. It's, nothing really happens. It, I feel like there was something missing there, or they they planned more and they just couldn't do it, or. It just feels like there's a big gap somewhere for like some big stunt. And without it, it's just a couple cars driving around empty roads for, for a few minutes. And yeah, you get a couple of those gadget gags in there and they're okay, I suppose. But they're really, it's really not much. And the thing I wrote down in my notes when watching this, and it's actually something I noticed for a few parts of the film, but here especially, don't get me wrong, I know it's meant to be midnight or whenever, or you know, even later now that the after the meeting. But um, it just feels like a movie set. It, it's so empty and so sort of just dead. Uh, there's a couple bits with like an oncoming truck and you know, the, uh, the old Italian man. But I don't know, it just doesn't feel very grounded in anything. It just feels like, right, we've booked off these streets. Let's, let's shoot the cars driving around. And um, yeah, I think because of that, it just really falls flat for me, this whole bit. I did like the sort of choir element coming in and, and trying to add some drama, but it's like, it doesn't work when there's nothing to accompany that sort of uh, kind of crescendo of of, of music. It, yeah, very, very strange decisions here. And I also kind of feel like they were trying to mix in a bit too much storytelling with the Money Penny stuff, where then they just, as they don't mesh together. So kind of fails on all fronts for me. That's, yeah, nice. Ticks all the wrong boxes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so so my general theory on this, because, yeah, I agree, this is when you're watching this film and you're just like, well, what was that? That was just kind of a pathetic chase. That was lame. So my general theory on this is that, like, they, they knew they wanted a chase in Rome. They kind of stuck to Rome and they knew they wanted these sports cars driving around and they got there and kind of, like, had probably had all these, like, restrictions yeah. Like, with Rome being such, like, a historic city, it's like, well, you can't have any explosions. It's like, okay, we can't crash anything. You can't have any crashes. Okay, well, you can't destroy anything. It's like, yeah, that feeling of the movie set is pretty pretty apt. 
because it feels like they might have come here and just got hit by all these restrictions, which meant, well, I guess we'll just drive them around at night then, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and it just means there's kind of nothing to it. Um, and it almost feels like they maybe had this to be a more intense scene, but after shooting it, they were like, well, that didn't go very well, or we couldn't do that. So instead, it almost feels like they tried to turn it into like a comedy scene. There is so much bloody comedy in this scene. There was a ton of jokes. The stuff with the gadget is all supposed to be a joke. The back and forth with Money Penny is kind of supposed to be a joke. Bond at the end when he lands with the parachute is obviously meant to be humorous. And yeah, like, yeah, there's so many stuff here that's meant to be funny. And that's fine if you want to do like a comedy scene. But oh my God, none of this works. <laughs> oh my, I just, none of it's funny. So. <laughs> So it's like, it's not an intense, exciting chase, because that's clearly not what they shot. And it's also not funny, despite the fact that they have all these jokes in here. So you're just like, oh. Like, it looks decent enough with it being in Rome, but that's kind of like, that that doesn't really count all that much. Like, when you're having a car chase especially in the city you don't really get bonus points for how it looks because you're not looking at that like you yeah. get some shots of that but you're looking at cars going fast so you can't really inject that in there because it's too distracting but that that's my general theory on this and why it feels so flat um, but they don't even have things like the cars ramming each other i don't think they touch at any point like no. there's no sense of Hinks actually trying to chase and stop Bond. It does legitimately feel like an episode of Top Gear where it's just following around some corners. Yeah, it's it's really sad. And actually, there's a couple bits uh, you're saying about the humour. There's a couple bits in this film where I feel like Daniel Craig is his most... Uh, or maybe not his most, but just really uncool and really not very Bondy. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a nitpick. But one of the scenes, one of the moments for me in this film is in this bit where it's that music that um, that starts playing and it's for 009. It's just the way that Bond reacts and just like, no! And it's just, yeah. it's like your dad or something reacting to it. I just like, oh, yeah. Really didn't didn't land for me any of the jokes here. Yeah, you're almost expecting to be like, oh, put some Led Zeppelin. That's some <laughs> real music. I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, oh. It's just, yeah, it's a massive shame because, like, the idea is probably all right when they're like, we'll do a big, exciting car chase in Rome. And I'd be like, awesome. But that's just not what it is (laughs) at all. No, and as I was watching, I was thinking, well, am I being unfair in in trying to think back to previous car chases? And and, because I was like, well, why do they not use Rome more? They're in Rome. Why can they not use it? And I'm sure it's why you said. But then I was thinking, well, they've been in other cities and they've have they used them there so then i was thinking like uh in paris did they use did they use it for, uh, in a view to a kill did they use paris very well and i'm like well not really um in uh goldeneye did they use saint petersburg more definitely more i suppose the thing with this is i also i don't love that it's at night either i think i get why but i just think it makes it all very kind of I feel like we've had all the dark, moody stuff with the scene before, and now we're seeing it even more with this chase where it's just so dark, you can't really see what's going on very much, or what there is to see isn't very interesting, and I don't know. When you're in a city, part of Bond is, like, showing off these locations, and I just feel like Rome didn't 
have any sort of justice done to it for showing it off in this in this film anyway yeah so like as terrible as that chase is in a few to a kill with the fire engine it at least makes sense to have a chase in san francisco <laughs> right and also in diamonds are forever as well right like it makes sense in america where it's all very kind of glammy and lots of lights and stuff it makes sense to have a chase there like because it's almost like it's not dark due to how insanely artificial that is, and that kind of adds something. But Rome's like this ancient city. It's like, you kind of want to see it properly. Yeah, yeah. Like, like having it buildings. a knife means you feel like you're kind of missing something. It's not like Shanghai in the last film, where it's enhanced by the light. It's almost like brought down by that. Like, you're not seeing this stuff, and it kind of makes it feel a little bit more generic, even though they do try and, like, shove some Rome locations in there. But, yeah, this could have been anywhere... And it probably mm. wouldn't have changed that much in terms of like these sort of European cities. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like the first kind of big ooh moment for me. Oh, it's starting to come back to me. <laughs> so it begins. Um, anyway, let's get off that now. I think we've been moaning too long about that, Chase. Um, yeah. So after that, we see, after Bond has landed, we see Money Penny. Go back to Money Penny briefly, just for a very, very quick shot of her doing what Bond asked, and she's looking up um, Franz Oberhauser, and you you see on her laptop that she's um, she's found this news article um, and is having it translated, and you don't really see much because it's like obviously a lot of text on there, and it's only on screen for a very short amount of time. But the headline is just about how uh, father and son are feared dead in uh, an avalanche accident. And that's kind of all you really get from that at the moment. But you do see a photo of the father and son, and one of them does look a lot like a young version of the man we just saw at the big table. So Bond is clearly onto something there. But yeah, as I say, we move on quite quickly because then we're moving to Tokyo and we're at some, probably some skyscraper it looks like, and this uh, committee room where C is at the front giving an address to all of these representatives from different countries and it's all about the passing of this security initiative, the Nine Eyes program that he's been waffling on about. And he's giving his little speech about how they should all be safer together. And this is <laughs> your language. The world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waffling about. He gives a little speech. I don't disagree with him. So like, I don't like C. <laughs> so revering your hand. Oh, nice little speech that you're waffling on, C. Yeah. And uh, he gives a little speech and goes to sit down, and they're doing their. They're voting for whether this is going to pass or not, this this initiative. And he goes to sit down next to M, because M's there as well, M and Tanner. And uh, M is obviously, as as uh, he was giving the speech up, he was M was talking to Tanner and kind of moaning that this is all uh, uh, an unelected sort of uh, power coming into play here. Um, and as he's doing so, Tanner gets an email on his laptop and it's... An empty email, which just has a, an attachment, and it has a, a BBC News article screenshot, and it says um, something about you know Rome. What would just happen in Rome? And a race ends of a splash, and it's a shot of the car in the river. So uh, Tanner's informed about that. They then do the vote, and it's almost unanimous. It's like eight to one, I think it is. The only countries that voted against it were South Africa. So um, yeah, M kind of. Rubs it in a little bit about, oh, democracy, eh? Sort of thing to see who's sat next to him. And then Tanner, uh, I think he text messages uh, M 
and just asks him over text, is Bond in London? Because he's just seen that news article. So after this little meeting, M is on the, the balcony outside and uh, he rings up Q to ask about Bond's location, to check in with the whole smart blood stuff that we learned about. And he's very angry, M, because, you know, more more of Bond going out on his own, shepherdizing things. So, yeah, he's he's not having any of it. He's like, ring up Q, you've got 10 seconds to answer and tell me where Bond is. Um, and Bo, uh, Q goes and, and checks in his bunker and he goes and looks at the screen of the smart blood and it's got this big map. And you can see quite clearly it says that Bond is in Austria. I can't remember the place it actually is. Altruis, maybe it's called that. Uh, but yeah, he's there and Q kind of thinks for a second and sees it and then says to M instead that he's in Chelsea. Bond is safe and sound. He's in London. He's in Chelsea. Um, so yeah, Q is uh, Q is covering for Bond, even though he might not really want to. But yeah, very, very, it's just a little bit about this whole Nine Eyes stuff still progressing, I suppose. Don't know if you have anything interesting to say about that. No, not really. I mean, there's, I guess the problem with this C stuff isn't so much what we're seeing at the moment. It kind of where where it goes so there is kind of a lot going on in the background with this plot but it's just like who cares like, <laughs> like yeah. that's the problem so like they are trying to set this up and they clearly had an idea of what this what is happening in the background you just never really connect it like the stuff that's going on with c it's like i just don't care because there's this other story going on with bond which there is a connection there and they do try and tie it together but i think most of the c stuff falls down in like the final scene with him because that's when you kind of realize oh this has all just been a terrible waste of time that sucks um, but at this point it's like you don't really care all that much about it and it is a little bit messy the way it's all described about the data streams and nine eyes and stuff so it's just like yeah i don't really kind of care about this um, i do find it interesting that q does cover for bond because there was that line earlier about money penny saying you don't trust anyone do you and then q, like he clearly trusts his q <laughs> Also, yeah. like, clearly trust her. And he probably trusts Tanner as well. They seem to get on. They've got the new digs <laughs> thing. They seem to enjoy that between each other. So it's like, it's actually kind of a big list. Um, and that's kind of a recurring thing about this, that Bond actually 100% does trust a lot of people in MI6, and they 100% have his back and want to help him out and do. But you're kind of meant to buy that he's this isolated guy who doesn't need anyone. It's like, hmm... Mm, well, that's not that's not how that goes. <laughs> Especially not in this film. Yeah, definitely not. If Q's all like, he's in Austria, and we'll be like, right, okay, thank you. <laughs> if Q yeah. did his job, then that'll be that. But no, they're keeping secrets, they're lying for him. He constantly asks for favours, and everyone always says yes. So it's like, well, mm, that doesn't seem like a lonely guy to me, but all right. <laughs> It'd be funny if someone was just like, nah. Or Q was so, like, yeah, he's no. in Austria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's that. Yeah. They'll just go get him. So. But no, Bond is in Austria. So we are now moving to Austria and we're seeing a big snowy mountain range. Bond driving through it and uh, big sweeping shots of all the mountains. And then he is on a boat, like a little motorboat going across this this lake. And um, he's in his... He's in his uh, I don't know what you'd call that gear, but, you know, snow gear? I don't know. <laughs> Is that the way he's got the hat? Yeah, he's got like, the hat on. He's got like, like a, a woolly jacket hat. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's got, he's got ready. He's prepared. Um, and you see where he's heading to eventually as he's crossing this this lake. Um, it's to this very isolated 
got a creepy looking cabin. Um, Bond reaches it and he, he enters. And yeah, it's like the door's open or he gets through the door and this place is just like a complete state. It looks abandoned. I do want almost. to have a little moan. Just, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm already, I'm already there. Oh wow! Uh, because when you put in the Blu-ray for this film, uh, the the opening menu, like the the Blu-ray menu, uh, it has footage from the film. Like all of them do, like a bit of a clip show. And the first one they show is this, where it's Bond going across the lake in this like foggy, snowy area, and it looks incredible. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, that looks amazing like somewhat similar to the scottish highlands we saw in skyfall but yeah. i think it looks better than that um, but it is a different sort of thing like it is snowy mountains and heavy fog it looks incredible but we get so little of it and the music is terrible like oh what what is the music i don't know but i hate it <laughs> <laughs> and this is where it really hit me about the music where it just doesn't fit and it in some scenes, it distracts and takes you out of it more than it does enhance, which makes this, in my opinion, one of the worst soundtracks in the history of the franchise. <laughs> because I mean, that it, is pretty it, damning. Yeah. It removes more than it gives, which it was is the opposite of Skyfall. Skyfall was massively enhanced by its soundtrack, but this one wasn't. So instead of this, like, again, in Skyfall, we got like the shining vibes, right? Very moody, very atmospheric. And we got this other place where they sh- found this amazing location. They shot it incredibly. It looks amazing. But you get like three shots and you're done. And you get this like almost too energetic music that just doesn't set it. And I'm just like, why did you put all this time into finding this location and shooting it just to rush through the editing and just slap on any old thing? And I'm just like, oh, it's right there. You did all the hard work. Um, I do kind of get the sense sometimes with the editing of this film that they they knew it was long. So sometimes stuff does kind of, you can somewhat get that sense of trying to move it along. Like it still ended up being 148 minutes. Um, But this is something that, you know, because they jump between all these different locations, like with Scotland, it was a very key location. So you spent a lot of time there. You got all the establishing shots. This one isn't that, but they still found these incredible shots that look amazing and it's like i just want to spend a little bit more time here and just don't do any music if you're not gonna match it like if you're not even gonna try just cut it out and it's like ah this should have been really cool and this i do like this scene as a whole but it just it made me quite upset with the way this was handled i can't as i say i can't recall the music but like just thinking about the setup of the shot and you go into this very isolated cabin i mean yeah if there's any scene that doesn't need music it's this sort of vibe, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a creepy, creepy looking place. Don't add music. Not yet. Anyway, is it really energetic then? I really can't. It's not that. like super high. It's not like dance music or something, but it's almost like <laughs> it's like too energetic for what you're looking at. Right. Like there's just a bit too much energy in there because it's almost like you go from the chase and then we've got that more. Well, you know how it goes, right, with Bond films. It feels like you're trying to fit that mould where they're just like, what's Bond up to? And Q lies for him. And then we cut to Bond in some place. So it's trying to like build up the energy again, almost, where it's like Bond being Bond on some global tour. It's almost mm-hmm. like that. But the visuals are just not that at all. This is supposed to be isolating. It's supposed to be alone, but also vast. And oh, they, they picked the perfect location for... Oh, just fumbled it. They just fumbled it. Oh, dear. Well, 
Uh, ignoring the music, so because I, I clearly I did. Um, Bond is inside and he, he's got his gun out and he's having a look around. And yeah, as I say, it's all very empty, looking quite abandoned inside, a bit of a mess, a bit of a state. Uh, he's looking around some of the rooms. He hears a noise uh, and turns around and goes through, starts to go through a door or something and <gasps> crows from nowhere. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and there's even like a proper horror sound effect as well, like a yeah, you know, the screechy sound. I was like, is this a little uh, tribute to John Glenn, maybe? John Glenn here. <laughs> he oh, still... yeah. <laughs> Should have had some doves or something. Um, but yeah, so there's like some creepy crows that come out, fly out, and Bond is still exploring. He sees a camera up um, in one of the corners of the, the rooms and alongside the kind of uh, the stairs, he sees some light coming from behind, like underneath the stairway um, at the bottom. So clearly there's something going on behind there. He puts his hand around and finds a switch, which lets him open the door. And there's a basement. He looks in and there's a basement. And you see there's a man sitting at a desk down there with loads of screens up against the wall. And the camera switches and we go to in front and it pans down. And it's Mr. White. It's it's a very different looking Mr. White sat down there. Who All he says is, is make it quick because he's heard Bond come in and Bond just says upstairs Mr White and uh yeah this is um this is the pale king this is who they're trying to find and and Bond has got there first so uh they are go back upstairs they're at a table um Bond on one side and Mr White on the other and Mr White is looking very different than when we last saw him uh looking very sickly very ill very kind of uh what's the word unkempt uh, to put it lightly. Um, but yeah, Bond puts his gun away and mentions how he's heard Mr. White's name at one of one of his meetings and Mr. White thinks he's talking about MI6, but no, it's uh, one of his organisations at a meeting in Rome. And with that, Bond puts down the ring, the octopus ring on the table, um, which Mr. White picks up and has a look at and starts to explain that around a month ago he found thallium in his phone so he's been poisoned and he's only got a few weeks left he thinks so that's why he's he's literally dying which is why he looks like that um and bond asks like why why do they do that and it's because uh white disobeyed him him is what he says in in the organization and apparently they started to go too far in his opinion starting to kill women and innocent women and children and uh and that was enough for him. So, yeah, that was why they, they wanted to, to get rid of him. And with that, Bond is asking, well, where is he? Where is this organization? And White screams everywhere. Uh, they're, they're kissing your wife. They're having dinner with your family or something like that. So, he's, you know, really hammering home the uh, extent of this Spectre organization. And... um Bond is just trying to deduce like his stance here and realizes that he's trying to protect someone, Mr. White here, and starts to dial in. Is it his wife? No, she left him ages ago. Is it his son? No, it's his daughter, uh, Mr. White's daughter. So, yeah, Mr. White is um, is trying to protect her, and Bond offers to protect her as well. Like, uh, you know, he's going to die soon, Mr. White. So Bond is the only person that could do that but she's hiding um he gives him his word 
that he will do that if he gives information to Bond and puts his gun on the table as a sign. And Mr. White picks it up. It's just like so weak. Like he picks it up and points it at Bond or like clicks back the hammer, but it's so weak he has to use both hands to do it and sh- you know, shaking as he's doing it. Um, points it at Bond. And you can see he's sort of mulling over the situation and uh, tells Bond to save his daughter, save his daughter and go to a place. Well, it's not a place, but he says, go to L'American, he says, and uh, to the Hoffler Clinic for for his daughter. So, um, yeah, with that, he's still got the gun and he's looking you know, straight in the eyes of Bond and just says, you're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. And with that, he says, so long. And he shoots himself through the through the back, through uh, through, uh, through his neck. And uh, yeah, he slumps backwards. The gun falls to the floor. And he's dead. Bond picks up the ring, goes over, closes his eyes, which was uh, quite nice of him to do that. Very, very movie thing there. Closes Mr. White's eyes as he slumped on the chair and uh, has a quick search through his pockets, finds his wallet and a photo in there of, Mr. White and his daughter, so he, he takes that and keeps it. And yeah, that's kind of a, that's it. That's Mr. White come and gone. And um, I really like the scene. I thought this was a great little scene here, mainly just because Mr. I, I love that Mr. White came back. I, it makes sense, I, I think, for Mr. White to come back, given that the history that him and Bond have and this now element of trust that they've got between each other. Um, and I just think the actor's really good. And we never really had a chance to see that actor do much with the character of Mr. White, to be honest with you. I think his name's Jesper, something. Uh, Vesper? <laughs> no, Jesper. Oh, Jesper. Oh. <laughs> now, that would be interesting. Yeah, Jesper Christensen, I think. Uh, but he's a really good actor, and he, he plays the scene really well. Like, he is a dying man, and he he has a really... Like, his eyes are so sort of weirdly glazed over and and just creepy looking and... Yeah, I think um, as far as bringing back that character and I don't want to say have a nice ending, but, you know, that character's arc is is done and I think they did it quite well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very smart because obviously Spectre, this film, is all about bringing, like, trying to tie all the events of the other films together and there's no better character to do that than Mr. White. Mm-hmm. Like, he was clearly tied to all of this. He survived Quantum of Solace, but you never really got a good ending with that. And that's why I kind of liked... I I talked about this in the Quantum of Solace episode. That's why, to me, it kind of makes sense with this Spectre stuff that he would be tied to that and tied to something bigger. That's true. Because he just disappears after the opera scene. Um, So having him come back and then saying, actually, he was part of something bigger, and then giving him the end of his story here, that was great. Um, I did read, though, that apparently there was a deleted scene or a planned scene that was going to kill off Mr. White in Quantum of Solace. Oh, okay. So he was going to die at some point, like show, show him dying like towards the end, but they cut it. And because they cut it, it meant like, oh, okay, we can bring him back for this. Yeah. Uh, which is probably the reason why you don't see him again. They just cut the scene and just left it open. But I think leaving it open makes sense so we can have him back here. And yeah, he is the perfect character to do that. And yeah, I completely agree. Like the acting of this one, it's something that... Daniel Craig's Bond kind of does better than any other Bond. He doesn't get the humour right a lot of the times. And some of the cheekiness not always gets that. But when it's just two people talking and there's quite a weighty conversation, like we saw with The Widow before, 
like he just kind of nails it like mm. that's just really him in his element where is this like psychotic person kind of observing this and as you say the guy who plays mr white just kind of nails it and they kind of nail that isolation feeling that you really have kind of i don't know it gives you that feeling that you've almost come to like the border between life and death in the middle of nowhere because you are just seeing a man at the end of his life but it's like disconnected from anything else so it it's almost kind of gives that analogy like you're going to the river of sticks or whatever it is um, maybe i'm going too far with the poetic stuff there but that's kind oh, of like what it. it feels like yeah uh, it, it feels like you have come to this place and to kind of where he, mr white has come here to die um, and the way he looks kind of sells that and you almost get like a little bit more of a loose mr white than what we saw before where he's just kind of laughing at bond because he's just kind of got nothing and lost everything and is about to die um, and he does a great job of selling that and bond when craig does his usual thing of just kind of being there um i don't think i necessarily buy some of the logic that's portrayed in this scene with the story that mr white left specter or sorry this this mysterious organization um because of the women and children uh i think you could somewhat tie it to the fact that he has a daughter so he probably wouldn't be okay with that stuff because he would connect it to his own daughter and stuff like that but i think maybe if they portrayed it for his own selfish reasons or something like there might have been a smarter way to tie that in that he yeah. disobeyed them for a different reason rather than something so generic that we just simply don't know mr white enough to kind of really buy that it would be for the moral reason that he gives i would have liked if they were like he was selfish or something like something that kind of still reinforces the idea that it's a bit of a piece of work but he's got a daughter who cares about you know something like that but but it doesn't matter too much like they really nail the atmosphere of this one i love the dialogue between the two and yeah that isolation feeling is is great um and this is the scene that got censored as well this is the second one. Ah, oh, okay so, so when oh, he okay. shot himself they showed like more blood and more almost i think they might have shown some brains or something coming out like they showed more of like the bullet hole and the impact of it to mr white um but they edited that down Uh, the reason they edited it down apparently was to get a 12 rating rather than a 15 so they had to edit those two things down but because they edited that down to get the 12 they then kept it for the rest of the world because initially i was like oh so in the uk got a censored version but no they never added that back in for anywhere else they just got the 12 and that's the version that got released but but again it's another one where where it's kind of like it's effective enough like you still see him shoot himself you still have Bond sitting across the table in this cabin in the middle of nowhere. So I'm not really sad about that because maybe having it too gruesome would lessen it. And we also do get a gruesome moment later anyway. So not really missed from my side. I would have liked a little bit of brains. A bit of brains, for sure. <laughs> just a little bit for me. Just just a, just a, a teeny bit. No, I, I, yeah, it's fine. It's really not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> but I did think that actually. Like I think I've said about that in a previous... Oh, it was The World Is Not Enough when uh, Electra shoots herself as well. I was like, there's just no blood. So I shouldn't really be surprised at this point. Like, it was just a very clean kill for shooting yourself under the chin. Well, yeah, well, you're right. But again, the Electra stuff was like she hadn't been shot at all. Mr. White at least reacts in a way <laughs> that he goes slumps him back in the chair. Yeah. And I do really like that shot, him just back in the chair, head back, just a corpse. Like, you feel it without really seeing it all that gruesome, which is almost in a way more haunting like that's that's Mm. really cool yeah so with that we then cut back to london 
Uh, there's a lot of London in this film. Cinema to Skyfall, a lot of London in this one. Probably even more London than Skyfall, actually. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we see M and C going through like the new building, like it's the one that was built instead of the MI6 building, the digital whatever, like the headquarters of this new operation that C is running and M and C are kind of going up this building and C starts showing off about it and he he talks about it being like a digital ghost that will be available 24-7 to have all the data. And M says, oh, that's like a George Orwell nightmare. And M then talks about, sorry, you lost the Nine Eyes vote. And C says, oh, it's only a matter of time until the South Africans vote. So he's not worrying about it. So they then enter C's office and M kind of starts explaining his reasons why he doesn't really like this. And he talks about how, you know, it's not about the information, but it's kind of how and who is going to use this information that worries him. And then C starts saying how, oh, well, the double O agent program is prehistoric and he's saying that or compare what all this can do to one man with a a license to kill can do so he's well yeah like a one man with a license to do can't do all of this that he's built so m's like have see have you ever killed a man and he talks about uh to pulling that trigger you have to be sure you gotta look him in the eyes and make the call and he says all the surveillance in the world can't tell you what to do next and a license to kill is also a license not to kill. Of which C says, well, M, you can't control your agents. And then he plays the audio of Money Penny and Bond talking to each other and being like, ah, of course, Mr. White. We get that audio again. Um, and M's like, do you watch MI6 agents? Are you observing them? And C says, well, we watch everyone. And yeah, it's it's kind of odd with this scene because I feel like um, Mallory and M is great and C is just terrible. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Every time M talks, I'm like, oh. Every time C talks, I'm like, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so clear. Like, Andrew Scott is so clearly outcast by Ralph Fiennes in this scene. Maybe some of the dialogue doesn't help, but C is kind of supposed to be, I want C to have a good point and he just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> M makes some good points and uh, Ralphine sells it really well and sees all like it's prehistoric yeah. and yeah this this is another one where I think I talked about like the Vespa stuff with the balance where you kind of want sometimes with these scenes you want two people to be talking and you don't want it to be one-sided but this is so one-sided that it's just this is when it really hammers home that Andrew Scott and C is just terrible in this film <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to think about whether, I mean, the nature of this C character is he has to be a young person. It's the whole idea of this new tech replacing old double O stuff. Like that's the thing. So you got you can't have, I guess you couldn't have another kind of older person. But you're right. Like when it is just this little weedy man and, well, weedy's unfair, just a young man. <laughs> Let's not be rude now, Joe. Uh, you have a young man and you have Ralph Fiennes who has like such a kind of, status and and like yeah power it you're right it's just totally unbalanced and i think would it have been better if maybe it was like another person that could match ralph finds a, a little bit better um but then that wouldn't really work in terms of the story as well so uh, i was very conflicted but also what gets me with this scene apart from being pretty unnecessary apart from finding out that they they track mi6 is we're just hearing really kind of 
uh, repeated dialogue. Repeated not from the same film, but from, from Skyfall. Like, it's the exact same speech yeah. that, that Bond and Q had in the gallery, where it's like, you know, pulling a gun uh, or shooting a gun or not to shoot sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, we've heard all this stuff before. Um, move on from it. So that was a bit annoying. And my last sort of thing that really annoyed me with this very short scene, <laughs> they were racking up by this point, uh, was it seemed like there was some really unnecessary like green screening I know the whole building is fake, but like they're clearly in a room at one point, and that's fine. Like the room is fine; it looks normal. But when there's like shots, just single shots of them, they look really sort of feathery. I don't know. I have a feeling that the background is is green screened in, and it just looks it just looks unnecessary. I don't know why they would put it in for those scenes, but I guess they had to for some reasons or another. But yeah, just looked bad to me. Hmm. I didn't notice that, but I, I completely agree about the dialogue. I was saying Vesper in Casino Royale, but really that's not what I meant. <laughs> uh, I, sh- I should have said Skyfall, because that's why I was saying Mallory and M in that film, they both had good points, which is what made that work, but this one mm. isn't that. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Some of this stuff is, is exactly the same, and they just don't find a new angle for it. I want C to convince me that the double O agent, like, that is stupid. I want... I want the counterpoint i want something to hear but they never present why all this information is good and yeah the way they treat this building we're like oh look at this building it's like i don't care about the bloody building <laughs> so it just and it doesn't kind of go anywhere it's i guess it's trying to represent the new but it doesn't really do that it's just like i don't i don't care which is obviously the big thing uh, at the end of the day but could this have worked? I think there's definitely things they could have done a lot better to make it work. Is this a bit lost in this film? Like, yeah. Like, oh, totally. It's not great. And then it also just kind of gets lost in everything else this film is trying to do. Not in the same way that Quantum of Solace does, because they do spend a decent amount of time on it. But like this kind of reinforces the thematic stuff doesn't really fit in as nicely as Skyfall did. And for all the things you could complain about with Skyfall, if you wanted to, with the thematic stuff, it at least all kind of ties together and reinforces the film. Like this idea of surveillance, surveillance, so like, uh, like security and stuff and data doesn't really kind of tie into much. Like it does tie into stuff kind of, but not in a thematic way. And maybe I'm revealing my hand here. It ultimately makes this film feel a little bit hollow. Um, mm. compared to Skyfall and it's this stuff that needed to tie thematically into the Bond stuff to kind of build and make this feel more impactful but it's like if you took Skyfall and mo- removed that thematic stuff you kind of get Spectre in a lot of ways um, and so this stuff just needed to be stronger to like resonate um, in the film as a whole I think yeah you're saying about how they could have maybe made this work uh they could have maybe made C a bit more likable. As I mentioned, they kind of make him this unlikable, smarmy guy straight away to to, to um, kind of work against M and get that relationship going. But I think for the audience, as you pointed out, like we need to be convinced partly like why this would actually happen and why, what would, well, we, I guess it's tricky because you know, like you find out why all this is going on really. But like at this point in the movie, it is just so like, oh, he's being completely evil and here's M. Um, and when you've had things like this before, it's like, oh, keep your keep your agents in order. And thinking back to Casino Royale and, and you got the impression that... And that, Quantum of Solace. And Quantum of Solace. You got the impression that... The, oh, Skyfall. 
<laughs> that Judy Dench was getting grilled from above by these things and that what Bond was doing was reckless. Like he was going and blowing up an embassy. Yeah. Like things are going out of control. Whereas well yeah, the Mexico stuff, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But like the whole the um the the Rome stuff is like yeah, it was just a car and a bloody river. I didn't get the idea that there was this massive threat from the loose agents and yeah, it really just didn't it didn't all work. It didn't fit together. No, I kind of wanted M. Again, this is comes back to what I was saying before about how M and Bond do need to trust each other, even if Bond kind of does things out of his jurisdiction, where he has no authority. None. None. <laughs> None. Um, yeah, it's so I kind of like the reveal of C is monitoring MI6 agents, and you can see how that would not be great. Um, but I don't know. I kind of wish that M knew or like or like kind of new you know like the old bernard lee way where it's like well maybe you should go on holiday wink mm. <laughs> and he's like mm, yes. that would be good like even if it was that and the reveal was just that like yeah c is looking at mi6 agents but you don't maybe you just didn't even need a reason for why that might be a good thing just ah and I guess we could be here all day with this stuff, so I'm going to do my we're in, Yeah, we'll end up just rewriting the film, which would yeah. be an interesting topic, to, but yeah, another time. Yeah, so yeah, again, this is where that these ideas kind of start falling down, which is kind of where we are, why we started talking about it a lot. But we cut back to camera footage. So we saw in Mr. White's home before in Austria, there was this camera, and we cut to some camera footage which shows Mr. White dead in the chair... And he hasn't been moved. Bond is no longer there. But we see the crows pecking at his face and the corpse. Which, again, you don't really see much detail of it, but that was the gruesome stuff. Before I like, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool moment. It's, it says a lot. Yeah, it, it ties back into Mr. White's uselessness to the organization. It ties back to how Bond fuse people, like throwing uh, Mathis in the skip. It's it's all ties quite nicely. Um and then we see a man enter the room with a gun and finds him. I don't think we properly see his face, or maybe we do. But you oh, can yeah, tell. I think we do, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. thumbs. You can tell. It's, it's thumbs. <laughs> yeah. It's thumbs. Yeah. Sorry, thumbs. I'd, already, I'd already forgot about thumbs, and then you said it again. <laughs> yeah, that's why it says in my notes. It's thumbs. <laughs> it's thumbs, everyone. <laughs> Yay! Um, so he gets a thumbs up to the camera, and there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah he sees the camera and we cut away again so yeah very nice little that's like the last we see of mr white kind of technically not but yeah again it, it adds a lot so we then cut to the mountains which is still in austria but they're more like the alps i want to say they are uh, more like traditional kind of mountains no fog or stuff just yeah high up in some snowy mountains and we see like some sort of facility built into the mountains and no not that one from on a Magic Secret Service. No, no. It's a different one. A lot Although less it is a iconic. Clinic, so it's similar. It is similar, yeah, on paper. Yeah. That might have been somewhat deliberate. They do love referencing on a Magic Secret Service they at do. a certain point. Um, yeah, so we see the, a plane go past around the mountains and we see Bond in the plane. He sees this facility, so he then we cut to him just approaching the building and going through the entrance and Bond's now inside and it's like very modern. Like, it's a lot of glass everywhere. It's not, like, a huge place. It's pretty big, but it's not, like, this over-the-top huge place. 
it kind of yeah looks very modern lots of glass that sort of thing so he enters into an office and a woman is at the desk and she asks him to sit down and she then kind of speaks in french to a tape recorder no idea why i don't think that ever comes back um but she stops doing that and turns around saying, I'm Dr. Madeline Swan. And she says how I'm going to analyze your needs both psychologically and physically. And she talks about how, because behind her is like the view of the mountains, which kind of looks amazing. So she's like, the view can be distracting. So I'm going to do the blinds. And Bond said, I hadn't noticed. Which I think is supposed to be like, well, you're so fantastic or something. I don't know. Mm. I, th- oh, I think yeah. it's supposed to be that. But she ignores it. And she says, I've got a few questions. Like, you filled in the, filled this all in, but I've still got a few questions. And she's like, do you exercise? Bond says, when I have to. She asks, do you consider your job psychologically stressful? So sometimes. And how much alcohol do you consume? Of which he just says, too much. She's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he said that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hang on. That's three units. And then there's another, uh, yeah, yeah, too much. (laughs) double digits so (laughs) ooh Uh, so then she's like as a child how close were you to your parents of which Bond explains I lost my parents when I was young she asks how and he says it was a a climbing accident so then she asks well who brought you up and Bond says someone else but very quickly moves on very quickly says someone else and goes on to something else and starts asking about her and starts saying, well, you studied at Oxford and have all these credentials, so how did someone of your stature end up in a place like this? Of which she doesn't answer that question. She instead is like, well, you, you're paying a lot of money to be here. Um, so I don't know if she says Bond, but Bond has just used his real name for this. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, so she does say at some point, but she's like, you've been paying a lot of money to be here. So she's like, I just got one more question left. Uh, occupation. It's been left blank. So what is it? And he says, well, it doesn't look good on a form, but I kill people. And then I think he's like, small world, eh? I can't remember exactly why. Um, But Swan asks, hold on, what? I'm getting very lost with my notes here. No, that all sounds right to me. So so Swan asks, where is he? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, there's the subtext here. So she's kind of very moved by this. And he's kind of realising what's going on. So we heard before that this is Mr. White's daughter, Miss White, but not really Swan. Oh, is that why she's called Swan? Because they're white. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is that why? Joe, this has just moved up the rankings for me now. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> that... Wow. I've... I'm Mrs. Pale King. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Of course, Mr. White. <laughs> Money Penny, do a run. The Pale Queen, do a run. Oh. Look it up for me. Ah, of course. <laughs> no, I think that's yeah, that's a very good. Yeah, I never put the two and two together there. Wow. No, but it makes sense. They would do some sort of tie there. Yeah. Ah. Well, anyway, yeah. So she's realised what's going on and kind of like asking, "Is where is he?" Uh, referring to her father, and Bond says he's dead. And Bond explains that he was there when it happened and says that he did it to himself. He killed himself. Um, So Bond says, I came to you to say your life is in danger, but I need your help. So I made a deal with Mr. White to protect you. And Swan is quite emotional at this point, saying you're lying. Why would he trust you? 
But Bond just kind of says, I need to find the American. And Swan is having none of this and says, you need to leave. So Bond does. So I think this seems pretty decent. It does feel a little bit forced in terms of like, it's something we had with Skyfall where you had the the test where he was doing the association, word association. Mm. And I kind of liked it there, but it almost feels like every film in the Craig era, they feel the need to like shove in some sort of like, let's evaluate bonds and let's figure Let's have him go through some sort of test so we can look more into the character. And again, I allowed it in Skyfall. This one, eh, not quite so much. Like, I don't think it really adds too much. And, the fact that we did it in the last film makes me think like, yeah, no real need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I think, uh, well, we, we, we're going to get more of this Bond stuff later on. <laughs> but like, yeah, this uh, in terms of like the psycho stuff. But um, yeah, like th- this whole scene just feels a little bit off to me. I don't know why exactly. I can't quite put my finger on it. I think it's. It's not Swan, because I, I quite like this introduction to Swan. And I like the actress, Leia Sadu. I think she's really good. Um, but I, th- I think it probably is what you're what you're saying. It's just a little bit too familiar, this this sort of setup where Bond is being questioned as this fake patient sort of thing. And, and we're just getting details that we don't really need to know. And I think this whole clinic environment is kind of strange as well. Like you know, The idea is that she's up here in the middle of nowhere to hide. But equally... I don't know, it just feels like we've been very quickly whisked here and then Bond is suddenly a patient in there doing this. I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. Not not great, but I guess it gets the job done of introducing us to, to Swan, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is some purpose to it because it's like the climbing accident stuff. Um, although I think we got that in the last film, I want to say, because M's like, how did they die, right? Yeah. So I think we might have got there. I I mean, again, they need to reinforce it in this film for reasons we find out later. But we have kind of had that before. So there is some reason to it. But yeah, again, this whole structure to it, it's just a bit... It's, yeah, we've just seen it before and there's no real kind of... Yeah, it, it just... <laughs> just like a lot of this film just falls a little bit flat. But again, it's fine. Like, it ultimately, it's fine. I didn't really say that about the Rome scene. The Rome chase, I don't think it's very good. But I have kind of made some sort of peace with that scene. And just like, yeah, it's naff, whatever, like, and move on from it. And mm-hmm. I'm a little bit with, with this, it's some sort of similar vibes. I don't think it's bad, but I just don't dwell on it that much. Uh, but there was definitely smarter ways they could have done some of this stuff and inject some of this stuff in. Because as you say, we've seen this all before. Yeah. So Bond has left the office and he's like sitting at a bar inside the same facility so he's kind of looking up at the office he was just in. Swan sees him looking up, so just shuts the blinds, which is fair enough. And there's a barman nearby and asks Bond for a drink. And he asks for a Falcon Martini, shaken, not stirred. Yay! Yay! And the man says, we don't sell any alcohol. Boo! Boo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, in classic Craig fashion, just sarcastically says, I'm really starting to love this place. Boo. Double uh, boos. Double boo. Yeah. So at this point, Q shows up at the bar and orders him some sort of like fancy enzyme drink. It's got quite a long name. Enzyme's the only word I remember. Um, so Bond says, if you came for the car, I left it at the bottom of a river. And Q says, oh, don't worry. It was only a three million pound prototype. 
<laughs> Which actually did make me laugh out loud. It's like, I just complained about the sarcasm from Craig, but when Q does it, I'm like, oh, Q. Q's, yeah. Oh, you. At it. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Bond's like, well, why are you here? Um, and Q says, oh, I just fancied a drink. Um, and then Q starts saying about how Franz is dead, and he's definitely dead, and Bond needs to kind of stop all this and come back with him. And he talks about how, like, all hell is breaking loose with the sea stuff that's going on. Uh, but Bond says, well, I saw Franz alive, and he's not someone I'll ever forget. And Bond also says, I have a name, the American. Um, so he's got a lead, but Q saying, no, you have to come back in, or I'm going to tell M uh, to bring you in, or tell you tell M what's going on. Um, so you get the impression that Q, again, hasn't really filled an end with this. He's just trying to help out Bond by by bringing him in. Um, so Bond says, well, I need one more thing, because he asked another favour. I wish we did a favour tally. Sometimes we do the tallies in this one. Bond asks for a favour. That should be a tally. Because mm, this must be at least game. the third one. Maybe yeah. even the fourth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he asks for a favour, and he says, uh, here's the ring, uh, the so the octopus ring that he had, and he says, I need you to take a look at it. And Q stops. And then he says, I really, really hate you right now. And security comes to take Bond out of the building. And Bond tells Q that I'll, I'll meet you in an hour. I think he asks, like, Q, where are you staying? And he just has to shout the hotel <laughs> across the <laughs> I'm staying in room. <laughs> Holiday Inn. <laughs> no, not the central one. The one, it's a, it's a bit cheaper. It's... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I use some of my my points on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a regular. Um, although this also is um, Q being here is what I was referencing in the last film, where they make the joke about Q being afraid to fly. Here he is in Austria, so and is that's true, and he's about he to flew. go very high up. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's already high up, but about to go over. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So again, I don't mind it. It's a small detail, and it was a funny joke in that one, but. Yeah, even if you got the train to Austria, which is possible, the only way you get to this facility is by plane. So there we go. Um, so Q talks about like, yeah, Q says, or Bond says, I'll meet you in an hour at the hotel. And at this point, as Bond is being escorted by security, his drink arrives, this enzyme drink, and he just looks at it and says, do me a favor, uh, throw that down the toilet, cut out the middleman. And... Yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess quickly, just to run it off, Bond sees, oh, don't say thumbs, uh, Hinks <laughs> has captured Swan with some goons. So Bond kind of punches the one of the guards. Another one comes up to him and he's like, no, stay. And the guy just kind of stops, allowing Bond to run off. I remember that got a big laugh in the cinema, that bit. I, I like that line. I think that's quite funny. Mm. Again, this characterization of Bond with the humor is just not a direction I like. Like old man Bond being like, throw that down the toilet. <laughs> Put on some Boomer Led Zeppelin, mate. That's, what's, <laughs> that's real music. It's the same sort of grumpy old Bond just being a bit lame and out of touch. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, again, I don't really hate all of this stuff. But yeah, some of this humor, just him being sarcastic about loving this place. I'm very glad we got the shaken, not stirred line. First time he's actually said it. I'm glad it's finally here. But the fact that it was a twist for him to be like, oh, these bloody young people with their enzyme drinks, oh, toss that down the toilet, give me a proper drink. Like, <laughs> that stuff is like, yeah, no, thank you. I don't I don't want Bond. Like, even Sean Connery, 
even Roger Moore, when he was an ancient old man, wasn't all like, oh, bloody hell, what were these kids? <laughs> Roger Moore loved the Beach Boys and, and went snowboarding to them. Like, yeah, exactly. He, he was, was snowboarding. <laughs> he was climbing the Golden Gate Bridge. He was living life. Not complaining about bloody... Ugh. So, live, yeah, love, I, live, love, love. That's what he was doing. Oh, God, he would have done, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't quite like this characterization. I like Q. Q yeah. is a thumbs up. But yeah, some of these, this is some of the human characterization that I think falls very flat in this film, and I just don't find it funny. Yeah, I I would agree. I'd agree with that. Um, So yeah, once Bond has spotted that and is is told a guy to state, um, he heads outside. (laughs) Whenever you say something like that, I always think of the Roger Moore, Sitter! (laughs) The tiger... There's so many opportunities yes. to edit that in to these films. Oh, yeah. Oh. Did I ever mention about the reference to that? I think I did, yeah. That was... Yeah, yeah. yeah we, go back there. That was yeah. Octopussy. Let's, let's leave that. Let's not recap <laughs> Octopussy anymore than we have Please, to. No. So, uh, Bond heads outside. He's got his kind of like skiing goggles on now. Um, like black, thick goggles. And uh, takes out a guard outside and grabs his gun and, and shoots another guard in the knee. Um, and you see that Swan has been taken into a car by Hinks and a couple other goons that he was with. They're now in the car driving off. Um, I think there's three cars actually in total, but yeah. So this whole next scene is like another chase scene coming up. It's going to sort of intermingle a bit with Q because we do see Q uh, leaving from having spoken to Bond. and The real gets... chase scene is the Q Honestly, stuff. this is better. It's a better one. <laughs> um, uh, Q gets into a cable car to head back down a mountain, I suppose, and he goes and uh, sits inside, gets out his laptop, and um, has his laptop has this little kind of scanning thing to the side of it, which uh, he puts the ring on, and that's starting to do all of its techno stuff and things showing up on his screen. Uh, you kind of get a very brief look at DNA coming up on his screen, so it's it's doing all that stuff. Um, but there's also a creepy looking man comes in and sits opposite kind of staring directly at Q. So you would have thought Q would maybe have waited a little bit to do this sort of stuff, top secret, but no. He's in there just with this other man uh, staring at him. But yeah, back to in the car with Swan. Um, Swan's in the back seat. Hinks isn't actually driving. He's just in the in the, the passenger seat next to him. And um, at the back, one of the goons is about to inject Swan with something. He's, he's preparing a little needle. And as he's doing that, a plane swoops overhead and that is a, enough of a chance to kind of distraction where she grabs the needle and injects him instead so she kind of turns it back on himself as a chance to maybe try and escape but doesn't really get very far because Hinks looks over and in silence because that's his shtick as he doesn't speak um he looks over and he's got his gun and he just points his gun to her and tells her to go sit back in a place sort of thing and um yeah, so there are three cars in, in this in this little chase scene and the plane flies alongside them on these roads and you see inside through the little window, it's Bond in the plane. Of course it is. He's found a plane from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it's really, I don't know, the, the shot of him opening the window to this plane, I found it really funny. I don't know why. I think it's just his little head in there and it's just like, hello. <laughs> yeah, he loves a cheeky wave, does he, Craig? He does. He really does. Uh, but yeah, he starts to shoot at the cars. Um, doesn't really do much, and and Hinks shoots back. He's got this. His gun is like it's almost like a shotgun, or like with really heavy bullets. Anyway, 
Well, um, yeah, it's got two barrels at the front. So it's like yeah. a, a pistol, but I guess what you would describe like maybe a magnum or something. It's like a double pistol. Right. Yeah, very heavy duty because he shoots into Bond's plane and it's like causing some big holes in the fuselage. And yeah, so he's doing some damage there. Um, we see back with Q. He's still in there uh, in the cable car on his laptop. We're seeing some screenshots of the past villains, uh, kind of like as we saw in the, the title sequence. You're getting uh, Silver and, and the Sheaf appearing on his laptop. Was Green in there? I think yeah, Green was in there, wasn't he? Green yeah. made everybody... Green got some love. I finally. paused it to make sure because it's <laughs> it's yeah because it's the guy from the beginning who was wearing the the ring. Then all the way to the right, you get a little little picture of Green. Oh, good oil uh, around the mouth. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, he he looks that, but then he gets off. He's done. He closes his laptop. He gets off the cable car. As he does so, he sort of um, gets confronted by another man. Not as, I mean, they're both, they're not that dodgy looking. They're just kind of, you know, looking at him a lot. And I think this man's in a hat and uh, he sort of gets in his way. So Q is kind of realizing now that something's going on um, and he's being tailed. But luckily, a big crowd of skiers come rushing into this cable car. And so Q goes back in and sort of separates between them now. So Q's on one side and these, these men are on the other. So... But now he's sort of like mingling in with the crowd to avoid anything going on. Um, back with the, the chase, they are now driving down this big uh, kind of gap between a forest, like a kind of tree line gap, um, driving straight down the middle. They see a, the plane is flying towards them from the opposite direction. And uh, Hinks shoots, tries to shoot down the plane as it's Bond coming in and and like, you know, almost trying to crash into them. And as he does so, he does actually hit one of the cars, not the main one with Swan, but hits one, which crashes and explodes. And I quite like how they 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 do attempt to mingle what's going on here because with that explosion from the car, because um, it hits into the, the forest line, we see back with Q that the explosion from that car, like everyone looks around and I guess the cable car hadn't actually gone yet because... Everyone looks around and that is his opportunity to escape. So that's when he rushes out and runs off and hides around a corner and hides in a, a little kind of cupboard and the goons run off straight forward. So Q has escaped them. That's that was all it really was. Just a little just a little something with Q. Q gets a bit of action. Um but yeah, I just I would have they, liked it. Well, I it. wouldn't have actually liked it. But if Q just like started using all these wacky gadgets, <laughs> so it now it's my out, time. <laughs> yes, I know how to use these and just kind of you know, throws a watch at them or just like goes crazy with all this different stuff. <laughs> like he's got a big coat on and it's just re- to reveal all this stuff throughout the years. So you would have liked that or you wouldn't have, let's be honest. Well, I think I would have liked it. <laughs> It would have been incredibly dumb, but sure, why not? Yeah, maybe just a little something. Yeah, that would have been good. But I don't think we ever had that in the Desmond era as well. Like, yes, Q came abroad, like, to Bond, but it was never Q using one of his gadgets to defend himself. He would just get in disguise and give Bond all the gadgets. So I guess it kind of does make sense with this one that Q wouldn't do that as well. They keep it simple. Um, But yeah, I don't know. 
might, might want, have been fun. I want Q to have rushed out and then grabbed, jumped into his hot air balloon with the Union Jack on it. Yeah, I'm off. <laughs> and, bye, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nice reference. Picks up uh, Bond. They, they yeah. all fly off. Yes, it could have worked out. Go down there, Q. No, <laughs> you're going too fast. But no, sadly that didn't happen. And back with, with Bond and Swan, uh, Bond is now flying behind uh, Hinks and uh, the car that he's in with Swan. And again, it's like this kind of gap between two forests, like a yeah, gap between them. So as he's flying down, eventually the wings of this plane get smashed off uh, by the trees either side. And I think the wheels get smashed off by something on the ground and so eventually it is just like the the body of the plane now skidding on the ground for the most part uh because he's landed and the two the two cars in front drive off to a different direction and bond is left to try and uh avoid crashing into an upcoming forest um full of trees and he's trying to turn it and this is this is the other moment where it's like Bond just seems like an old man because he's like, "Come on!" <laughs> yeah, I like, wrote that in all caps. He's like, "Come on!" Ah. <laughs> Trying to turn this plane somehow, uh, which he does, of course. Um, just at the last second, he does turn it, and instead, it goes over a, a small hill, and um, I think a bit more smashes off, and he's now skidding alongside the cars, and it's kind of a. It's a bit hard to explain, but the cars have now gone around this corner and Bond is left heading towards this big barn, this big red barn, and uh, the plane smashes through one side of it and you see the opposite side, the camera facing it, and you hear the Bond theme. Oh, no, wait, you don't, actually. Oh. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, the, oh, dear. The, the plane smashes out. There is no Bond theme, uh, but with the way that the road's lined up, the plane then smashes into one of the cars that he was following because it wrapped around in front of the barn. So he's taken out two cars now and then kind of carries on going down. But yeah, no Bond theme for that. That seemed like such an obvious place to put one. Yeah, so, so bizarre. I don't know what Newman was thinking, but why is where's the Bond theme? I don't know. You get like a two seconds of it every here and there, but like... You're going to do all the other stuff in such a classic style. Why wouldn't you include that? Even if it's like a remix or whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact that it's not here, it's like, what are you doing? Like, play it. Yeah. Play it. <laughs> why Why are you keeping this from us? I don't, I don't understand that choice. It's insane. You know, I've already complained about the music, but that's another tick against it. Like, sometimes it just doesn't fit the scene at all. And play the bloody fit Bond theme. We've done it. This is Spectre, for goodness sake. Like, this is this should have the Bond theme in it. Yep. Yep, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, with that, Hinks' car, I think, smashes into the one that was smashed into by the plane. So he gets launched out of uh, the windshield, onto the windshield. Bond is somehow, he's, you know, he's landed, he's fine. He gets out and um, shoots the driver, uh, gets Swan from the back seat, Um He's very angry, like he's, he's trying to grab her and she's having none of it. Like she kind of pushes him off and, and runs off because, uh, <laughs> you know, Bond was the one that put her in danger. She uh, he led them to her, she's saying. Um, but I just like how she just shouts like, go to hell <laughs> She's when she's storming off. Uh, and Bond is asking for information about Lamerican still um, and that she has to trust him because he is the best chance of uh of her staying alive basically 
And this little chase scene ends uh, with a shot of Hinks on the windshield or on the on the bonnet, and uh, you see the hand twitch ever so slightly and the head start to raise. So he's not quite dead yet. Very cheesy, but yeah, he's still there. I think they really did Hinks dirty by not having him talk. Like, I mm. guess I can understand that decision. Like, Oddjob doesn't talk, and that's probably what they were trying to replicate. But he's in this film a lot, but I feel like you just don't feel his presence because he just doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's like he just chased Bond in Rome, but you, like, only see him twice. You just saw him kill a man in that Spectre scene. And then this one, he is there. Like, he's in this film quite a lot. But I feel like because he doesn't talk, you just don't feel his presence at all. No. But he has the classic look. He kind of looks the part. He's got the thumbs thing, like classic Bond. And he's got a unique weapon. And he's like kidnapping women. Classic henchman stuff. Uh, and it does make me think like, just they should have let him talk. I think that would have really helped because he's not as distinctive as like a Jaws who kind of get away with it. So they probably just needed him to say something so you at least remember him because he is in this film a ton. Yeah, they, they I was thinking that about how the, the similarities to Jaws in not speaking. Uh, but they gave Jaws more of an opportunity for his character to come through. Uh, even though eventually that did end up being quite like comedic stuff, you still got that chance. Whereas with this, yeah, you just get nothing from him, um, which is a shame because I think it could have been quite a good character actually. Yeah, as you say, all the all the all the parts are there for him to be a decent henchman, but it just doesn't really get the chance to do anything. No, and I, and I wouldn't even describe him as bad. It's just a little bit more just forgettable. Yeah, which is a shame. But yeah, they put all the pieces in. They did all the hard work. It's just like yeah, we just kind of doesn't do enough um but for this chase itself i think it's definitely better than the rome chase like i think a little bit more goes on again i'm not sure about the characterization of bond in this film where on paper it makes sense that we would have cocky bond waving and being super hyper aggressive with this plane like i feel like that all makes sense but when i watch it play out i don't know it feels a little bit off and I'm not saying it doesn't feel like Bond at all, but I feel like there's something about the way he's so aggressively chasing these cars doesn't feel quite right. Oh, like, interesting. I don't think that's quite how that should be. I'm not saying Bond shouldn't be able to chase anyone, but having him be like this, I don't know. There was, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I almost like he was almost like too aggressive, like in too reckless which feels weird to say when we're talking about a James Bond film. Hmm. I do, I kind of get what you're saying. I do kind of get what you're saying. I don't know. I think for me, it is better than the Rome stuff. Absolutely. I don't think it's that much better though, which is a shame. Um, I think, yeah, the opportunity to have another chase in the snowy setting good always like a change of scenery very nice um and it's one of those kind of tropes of of bond in something that is like yeah either falling apart or something the situation changes and is like out of control or what have you and in this case it is the plane that's kind of getting more smashed up sort of thing although even with that they don't really push it very far it does just skid for a bit and then burst through the the quiet barn or the the bond theme lacking barn bit um so Again, I, w- I would just say that no- nothing, nothing standout really happens again. 
And maybe all it would have needed was that Bond theme cue. That would have been enough to be like, all right, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, we just went through the barn. But mm. you really feel it's it's lack. You really, really do. And it just it's just the same thing with the Rome stuff where it just feels it just feels incomplete and just not not as good as it should be. The whole Bond chasing thing though, I, I do I'm trying to kind of take in your idea there because I would agree with you that there is something about Bond in this film that does feel off. Yeah. And I I am trying to work out whether it's writing which is going to be for sure with some part of it because you know that's the film is is the script but also just was Craig as much in it for this film um there are always stories about how by this point he was kind of really disliking the filming of Bond films and kind of getting into accidents and injuries and famously after this film he said he'd rather slit his own wrists than play Bond again um, although in a joking way, but still, people took it as as that. Um, so yeah, is it is it also that there's just a little bit of of kind of lack of passion from Craig as well? Possibly, I think it's a, a lot of things kind of all brewing together that lead to that. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it ties into what this film is about being like a huge production. Like when you read about this film, it's all about the money, as we talked about with the Sony League. But it's just, it was just a huge film. So, yeah. yeah, Craig would probably just be very tired and worn out from this. I don't get the impression that he's like, his heart's not in it, though. I think he's really enjoying playing Bond in this film. Okay. But I just think the direction they go in might not be right. It's it's almost like, again, I don't 100% have my finger on what's wrong with the characterization of Bond in this film. But it's almost like they're combining License to Kill Timothy Dalton with Roger Moore. Because you get bond on the edge you know how like with the end of license to kill like bond is just crazy like yeah. and there's a lot of stuff in that film where he's just very reckless and over the top but they almost like justify it with the story and felix and the revenge stuff and then you've got like roger moore one where he might be more smiley and happy-go-lucky if you try and combine those ideas it they would kind of clash and it wouldn't feel quite right and it's almost like we get that here this doesn't feel like Bond on the edge, like in The License to Kill, but then he acts like it. But a lot of this film has a ton of comedy in it, and you get him saying, like, throw that drink down the toilet, and then he's just waving and being all smiley in the plane, only to then do something that feels right out of License to Kill. And it's like, I know Daniel Craig's Bond is a little bit more brash, but even then, I think maybe it's the large injection of humour like more than any other Daniel Craig film by far, like there's tons of humor in this film that maybe that's what's off. Like if Timothy Dalton licensed to kill was making a ton of jokes, you'd be like, what the hell is he talking? Like what? <laughs> Especially if there were bad jokes in this film. So that might be like part of it. I don't know. I thought the head popping was hilarious. Oh yeah. That was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. No. I, yeah. I think you, you're onto something there. There, there is a lot of jokes, um, which we've said before, that's not Craig's speciality, so... No. But I, I think this is decent, this scene, though. Like, you know, we talked about the Q stuff, it's very basic, but that works quite well. Maybe it almost distracts too much from the actual plane chase, but, yeah, it takes all those boxes. It's, once again, they're trying to inject classic Bond here. It's a snowing setting. It's a chase. There's some explosions and stuff. Like, it's, it is ticking some of those boxes. I was half expecting there to be, like, a load of chickens when he comes out of that barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, throwback to Glenn. Still thinking about you. Um, we love you, Glenn. 
but you're right like i've already said the music is terrible and i think this is another one you can put to that list it's like just play the correct music because it's almost like they went 80 percent of the way to replicate something and because we've seen so many of these films and it's this is the 24th one when you miss that last 20 percent, it really stings and yeah. it just as you say incomplete where you're like it's not quite there but again i still have a decent time with this one i think it's all right it's not great, but I think there's been worse chase scenes in the Bond franchise by far. Uh, it's just like missing that 20% to really make it stand out. Mm. So yeah, just to end off this little bit in Austria uh, after the, the chase. So yeah, his Bond's kind of got Swan on his side now with that. Um, and they head back to Q's hotel uh, that you spoke about earlier. And um, Bond very briefly introduces Q to Swan and Swan to Q. And Q has been there doing some more analyzing of, you know, the stuff that we saw on the laptop. And he says that Bond was right. Bond is onto something. Uh, Oberhauser, Franz Oberhauser is still alive. And um, all, all the villains, all like all the, the past people that Bond has encountered in, in Craig's films are linked to one organization. And as you're, as you're saying this, you're seeing on the laptop screen a very handy little uh, graphic that I guess mm. Q quickly programmed up where, like, yeah, all the pictures, Le Chief and all that. And um, I think even one of them is Patrice. Yeah, Patrice is on that list. Yeah, like they're all the tentacles and it reaches up and they go up and, and eventually it'll uh, go to Franz Oberhausen at the top and then the octopus's head. And, um, well, let me just finish the scene and I'm on. So, uh yeah, they're all linked to one organization, and that's when Swan pipes in about it's Spectre. The organization is called Spectre. She knows because her father used to work for him. And with that, uh, Q reveals on uh, TV that there's been a terrorist attack in South Africa. So you're sort of getting the idea that things are moving still with the whole MI6 and C stuff. And, and Bond tells Q to... Uh, to go, um, go back to London, go and help M, clearly needs it. And uh, whilst they go find out, oh, and then Q says it's really important you go find out who this Lamerican is. And Swan ends off by saying, it's not a person, it's a place. Lamerican is a place. Oh. But yeah, I just want to go back. That's um, a hell of a twist. It's a place. It's a place. And it's the only twist and reveal in this scene. Um, so we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I have a question. Okay. And I know it doesn't really matter because it's cinema and whatever, but did you really wonder or care about why the ring means that? No idea. It's it's nonsense as far as I can tell. It's pure nonsense. Because I... The only thing I can guess is that all their DNA is on it, but I don't ever remember any of these people wearing this ring, and especially if it's this one specific ring. Like... I have no idea how this ring actually proves it. The only thing I can think is that all these men wore this ring, but what, this specific one? Like, no? Um, I guess I kind of like the idea of the guy the guy in the white suit is almost like part of this chain of people who are taking a certain position in Spectre, but I kind of don't buy the idea that all of these wore this ring. So try and not think about it. I think it's dumb. It's It doesn't make sense to me, but... Yeah, try try not to think about that, I guess. Well, I've got bad news for you, Tom. Oh, I did no. I did think about oh, it. Oh, Joe! <laughs> Why did I do this to myself? No, but clearly other people have too, because all I did was Google, like, Spectre 
ring DNA, I think is what I googled, and yeah. other people asked the same question. How how does it lead to that? And apparently, there was no, it wasn't a deleted line. It was um, uh, an answer in a, uh, a question like Q and A that Sam Mendes did. Oh, good. And he actually very briefly outlined why that was the case, and it's something to do with there was some sort of um, radioactive metal in the ring which links through to all of the autopsies from the villains. So, <laughs> Right, so there was traces of the... Me- I guess that kind of works. Actually. Yeah. I hate that it does. But so I guess the metal used for this ring, the traces of that metal was on all these people. Yes, and because they've all died, they can all link them together. How that gets to Oberhauser, I don't know. I don't really care. But it does just go to show that all they would have needed is one line. One line, just to be like, oh, yes, the metal in there. Yeah, we and found it, traces of the metal that the ring was made of on all these people. Like, that yeah, would have done it. <laughs> that would have literally done it. But no, it's it's it's, it's not a big deal, but yeah. This is what dead. I was kind of saying before, though. Like, I, I think the pacing of this film is actually okay, but there is almost a little bit of a rush for some of these bits. Like, mm. it doesn't feel like a rushed film or anything. But yeah, stuff like that, they do kind of cut it quite short for time to move things forward, which yeah. sometimes I appreciate. But this one, they... They should have taken the extra second, maybe. Just just ten seconds. Just just stick a line in. Yeah. So I have another question for you though. Did you okay. pause it on that screen when they're showing all the faces? No. Is there anything juicy? So well, there's green. It's quite juicy. Mm. Um, but apart from that, uh, I found it quite interesting because it says deceased on all of them apart from Patrice. Oh, and I wrote down what it said, but I might have it wrong because it was very blurry. But yeah, literally underneath all of them, silver and green and stuff, deceased. But instead of deceased, it says MI six DEF colon eight nine zero two one Q. Oh, so they caught him? Maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that like I don't his, know? His I'm number? assuming there was a reason for it, but it almost implies that he's not dead, which is of course nonsense. He fell from a skyscraper. Um, oh god yeah of course he did <laughs> i was thinking yeah. he just got away on the train <laughs> <laughs> bye <laughs> no. never to be seen again but oh, yeah he's definitely dead but maybe this implies he's not but it also did make me laugh that it's like all the main people here we got mr white we got le Chief, and then it's like then we go down a tier and we get f green and then we have patrice <laughs> it's yeah, almost like they the just drinks. needed to fit it up yeah they yeah. just needed to fill that out um, but I guess it might make sense that Patrice was a Spectre assassin rather than one specifically for Silver, because why would Silver bother with that stuff? But, you know, even then, it does make me laugh because this is that massive effort they had to tie all these films together and they are very much doubling down at this point. So it is a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. At this point, I'm kind of happy enough with it. I think it makes sense to tie these films together and... I think it helps that No Time to Die exists to wrap all this all up. Yeah. Like, when this came out, this almost felt like the ending. Like, there was the question, is this the last film in the Craig era? And it felt almost like this ham-fisted way of trying to wrap it all up and give it a conclusion. But now that we have a proper conclusion, I can kind of, like, allow some of this stuff for what it is, which, yeah, again, a little bit ham-fisted, maybe not handled super well, but I like the idea of a Spectre being there the whole time. And I can I can buy it enough I suppose. I think I think deep down I still don't like it, but I have, as you would have said earlier on, like I've come to peace with that aspect of it now. I just 
it is now part of the Craig uh, law with with this, you know, with his tenure. And I think we mentioned in the in the quantum stuff in the quantum podcast, and even like Skyfall. When I watch those films, it doesn't bother me knowing like it. It's not one of those things that ruins the films retroactively. Um, so I suppose I can't get too mad. I can still enjoy them for what they are. And then people like yourself can get more from them potentially. So I guess in that way, it's it's kind of pleasing both sides. Well, actually, that's not true because I know some people really hate that. But I'm oh, yeah, more some chill. Some people for sure, yeah. I'm more chill now than I was eight years ago. So yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. So yeah, I don't really care that much now. But I, I totally get why someone would hate it. And if somebody does, fair enough. Um, especially because they really ham, they really double down on this stuff. Yeah. Like this is the third time we've seen a picture of Le Chief in this film, which is very strange because you saw him in the opening credits and then you saw him earlier with the ring with World War Q is on the laptop. And now you see him again. Like they really put these pictures in there and maybe if they cut one out, that would have helped. Um, but yeah, they really kind of want you to see these people, but maybe if they kind of toned that stuff down, it would have been a bit easier to swallow so he wasn't be like remember this guy from quantum or solace yeah that was mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah maybe like maybe yeah. if you didn't see the picture it might have helped a little bit yeah so with the american the big twist has been revealed that it's a place everyone oh my. can't believe it i just like i find that so weird because it's just like everyone does say the american so I, when I first watched it, I just assumed they meant American. They were just saying it weird. <laughs> but no, it, they're calling it that because it's it's pronounced differently because it's a place, which makes more sense. But it's like, it, in retrospect, it's kind of like, well, yeah, they're not... Everyone was saying American very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't understand why that was such a... It, it's not really a big, ooh, moment. Is it, is it, I think Speak they, for yourself. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I couldn't believe it. Really? Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, we cut to Tangier, uh, which I believe is where the Living Daylights took place, partially. Oh, what, at the end? No, not the end. Oh, that, the, was Af- that was Afghanistan. Yeah, the, the conference thing with uh, oh, Pushkin. Oh, right, with Pushkin. Yeah. I think that was Tangier, because I, I recognised the name from Bond. I was like, which one is that? I think that's uh, Living Daylights. Right. Um, so we see Bond and Swan kind of walking up this hill in like a busy shopping street and... Then they keep walking and we cut to a less busy street as they're going up these hills. It's You're getting the impression that you're really going deep into the city a little bit and they reach a place and it has a sign that says Le American on it. So they enter and they're inside the lobby because this is a hotel. So Swan goes up to reception to sort out the room and we cut straight away to them entering the room. And it's it's not very nice. It's a little bit kind of worn and old, but I guess it's got a vibe to it, I suppose. Um, it's quite big, but yeah, a little bit worn. So Swan explains that this is where they spent their wedding night and they came back every year and she started coming back with them when she was born and old enough. But Mr. White still kept coming back even after the divorce. So she's talking about her parents, Mr. and Mrs. White. Um, so Bond says, I'm sorry. And she says, what for? And we cut to Swan sitting on the floor, drinking some wine, while Bond is just ripping the walls open, trying to find some secrets. I can relate to that. <laughs> relate in a, what, 
What, who, sitting Bond on, or... Sit, sitting on the floor with a glass of red wine. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, that makes more sense. I didn't take you for somebody who would destroy a wall, but yeah, on the floor with some wine. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we later find out she's quite drunk as well, so there... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah I'm revealing too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so Bond finds some booze within the, the wall, so it's just... He just has a swig straight away. Um, and we look around and we see the room is being completely trashed. And Bond says, well, this can't be it. There has to be something else here. And Swan kind of starts talking about how I promised myself I would never be hurt again by him. And she cut off all the ties to her father and, and never spoke to him again. And she says how in his dying breath, he sent Bond to her. And Bond kind of retaliates with that by saying, well, the only reason he was alive... You know, I saw him, very sick man. The only thing keeping him going was because of you. So she says, I'm going to bed. And she stands up, but she just almost falls over as she is quite drunk. And Bond catches her. So kind of has her in oh, yeah, has her in his arms. And she talks about saying, oh, don't think I'm going to fall into your arms seeking solace for my dead daddy. And she then goes into the bed and tells Bond, you need to keep watch. And if you come anywhere near me, I'll I'll kill you. Um, so she lies on the bed while uh, he sits in the chair. And she then says, look, there are two of you, two Jameses, lucky me. And to herself, she says in French, what am I doing here? And then she says, to lies and killers, to lies and killers everywhere. Which I got a little bit confused by that dialogue. I don't know what you made of it, the two Jameses and the lies and killers. Two two Jameses because she's drunk, I assumed. Like she's seen right. double. Um, and then liars and killers. I don't know. Just I don't know, assassins, I guess. Like running in her family now and can't avoid them. I mean, I kind of liked her saying to liars and killers. I thought that was kind of nice. Like it's quite quite dark to be honest. It's quite quite a lot. But the two yeah. Jameses thing, I thought that was. I was trying to find like a symbolic meaning for that. Almost like oh. Is she, is she seeing two different sides of James? Is there is there something else going on there? Is she seeing James as her dad because they're quite similar in a way because they're assassins? Hopefully not. Um, but like I was looking <laughs> for something like symbolic with that. But hmm. you might be right. It's just because she's drunk. Well, I was hoping they would inject a little bit something with such a specific line of saying, "Look, there are two of you. Two Jameses. Lucky me." Like, I thought there'd be a little bit more to it. Like, because she's drunk. You could have her say anything, like, right? It doesn't have to be specifically there's two Jameses. That that feels like too specific for it not to have a point. Mm. Perhaps you're right. Maybe I just, uh, I'm not on that same wavelength. Well, I don't know what it is. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I have no either. idea, but I feel like there has to be a point to it. But yeah. yeah, this kind of goes into a little bit of her characterization where I don't think it's particularly bad here, but I do feel like a lot of these are going through the motions and some of the stereotypes of like bond women and girls or whatever you want to call it where the last one she was really annoyed and stuff which is pretty good and now this one is just like i'm not going to fall into your arms seeking solace for my dead daddy which i don't feel very comfortable saying to be honest i don't think it sounds quite as good coming from my mouth um but it, <laughs> it's a it's a little bit of a creepy lie which i think in isolation is fine but yeah, her characterization kind of, or the moments with her, I should say, kind of um, feel a little bit more just kind of stereotypical than they should, which is kind of a shame. Um, 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I, up to this point, I mean, we haven't seen much of her, but I, you know, I liked the scene. I, I thought she was good in in that scene in 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 uh, Austria. I think you're, yeah. The, the idea that she's kind of drunk and saying saying stuff that a Bond girl in in a Bond film wouldn't be able to say usually is quite good. Like I like that she is whispering stuff. Why am I here? Like how did I get into this mess? Sort of thing. Um, maybe they could have gone a bit further with it though. I think you're right. Like with the whole the whole two James and stuff, they could have said anything at that point. But no, I don't. I don't mind it. I think it's just because I think she's just very good. I think she's a very good actress, and yeah, she she just has a quite a good presence in the film. Um, I mean, at this moment, it is very uh, kind of bashing heads with Bond, but with with all this setup, I think that does eventually lead to a nicer connection that they have further down the film. So I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind what they're doing here. I uh, maybe it's. Yeah, because of how it plays out later is why I'm focusing on this scene. Because I do agree with you. I do like her kind of, yeah, she is a good actress and her getting drunk, it's it makes sense. She's, and her kind of reflecting on what the hell is going on. I do like all that stuff and the two lies. Like, all that stuff is good. It's just, I guess there's something about that line about falling into your arms and stuff. It's, I don't know, it's very on the nose. And for where mm. this goes, maybe... Me personally, anyway, I don't know if it fits all that well. And it makes me feel like a lot of this stuff is just kind of... Yeah, a lot of what happens with this character is not not as well done as it could have been. feels a little bit more stereotypical than I would have liked. But the stuff that isn't like that, which is all the other stuff around that line, I like. But yeah, maybe it's just that line I just don't like. They've definitely used that line uh, before, haven't they? Like, that is quite a common line about... Yeah, a version oh, of it, for sure. Don't, yeah, don't think I'm going to be this easy sort of thing, but yeah. They really like to use it, clearly. Yeah. So we then see Bond is sitting in the chair and we get some aerial shots of Tangier at night. So we're cutting forward a little bit and we see Bond has fallen asleep in the chair and he wakes up and he sees a little mouse on the floor. So he, he seems a little bit drunk as well, a little bit out of it anyway. And he points his gun at the mouse and the mouse looks at Bond and Bond's like, who sent you? and ask who are you working for and he then kind of sees the mouse go into like a a hole in the wall like a little mouse hole and bond then sees a crooked picture above it so he has a swig of his beer that he's drinking i think it's heineken again i want to say back for another round tanner's beer of choice as we call it in uh, in my local pub he does the adverts for it yeah give me a tanner please (laughs) (laughs) that's what we call it uh I wanted. To, I was going to say like a new swigs joke, but I couldn't quite make it. Oh. Work. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would work. I'd be happy with that. All right, cool, nice. Um, so Bond kind of yeah follows the hole, and there's a desk in front of it. So he just moves the desk out the way. He moves the picture of the wall. He pours the beer on the floor, and it very like unconvincingly like pours underneath, like it slides underneath the wall. But it almost looks like it's CGI or something. It's like too perfect. Um, so Bond then starts just punching the wall and it reveals a secret room behind that wall and all the punching and commotion wakes Swan up and they both go into the room. So we see this very small dingy room which it does have a light in there but it's a lot of like files and papers and Bond kind of goes through and he sees some like old passports, it's all very dusty and sees a load of maps and 
Swan then goes up to one of the walls and sees a load of photos of herself and her dad on the wall. It's quite interesting with the way they talk about Mr. White in this film because he's clearly Mr. White, but once he dies and it's all about Swan, he is then just referred to as Swan's father the whole time, which probably makes sense. Um, but I find that interesting. Like I always put White, but they like never refer to him as such. It's always my father or your father. Mm. Which makes sense for what they're going for with this. So she looks very sad looking at these pictures, a bit somber. And Bond picks up a VHS tape and it says Vesper on it. It says Vesper like interrogation, something like that. So Swan then says, what is it? And Bond takes a look at it and just says nothing and just tosses it aside. And he then finds like quite an old computer and it's like very old, like 70s maybe. Um, Starts turning it on. And, like, Swan finds a piece of paper and Bond says there are some coordinates on it. Of which Bond kind of then catches us all up saying, like, he was looking for him. So, the head of the organisation. And he sent Bond to finish the job. So, Bond is kind of saying, I'm going to go do that. Swan says, I'm coming with you. Bond says, no, I want you alive. And that I might not be coming back. But Swan says, I, I need to know what happened to my father, so I'm coming with you. So Bond then searches through some maps, they look at the coordinates, and then he points on the map, and he says it's like the middle of nowhere in the desert, which is where they need to head to. So, I mean, first of all, the mouse stuff made me laugh. I like the mouse stuff. The mouse stuff is funny. Very big Diamonds Are Forever vibes, which is mm, not always oh. the thing I want to reference, but yeah. Love it. Sean Connery in the pipe, talking to that mouse. I don't know if he says the same thing, to be honest. I think he might say something quite similar. Possibly. Who sent you? Um, It's something like that. But yeah, surprisingly charming. When Craig isn't being sarcastic, he can be quite funny. Um, Yeah. But then, yeah, I guess a lot of stuff in this room. I think it's very cool to have this. And yeah, you're unpacking white stuff. But I guess it's the Vesper tape. And it's interesting because in this film they touch upon Vesper. She's mentioned a few times, but they don't really go into it, which at the time was kind of disappointing, but they kind of do touch upon it more in No Time to Die. So I'm kind of will let it off a bit. But yeah, there's a tape of the interrogation and Bond's reaction to it is to say it's nothing and toss it aside. But there's no follow up to that. Like you would somewhat expect that he stole it or something like that, that he did in fact take it. But no, like, that's it. And he is I, over her. Hmm, well... Well, in the, that's, that's the impression you're meant to get, I suppose. I guess so. I, I feel like it's... I'm not 100% sure what they're going on here. I, I take it more that Bond is not necessarily over her, but the maybe the damage has kind of been done, Yeah, and he doesn't want to revisit that. But it's almost like having her him see the name while Swan is around... Well, they are setting up this relationship with Swan. I don't know what exactly they're trying to do. I guess make you think of Vesper's relationship with Bond and try and use it as a parallel to the one with Swan. Um, it's it's like it's not like passing the torch or anything like that. But eventually, for what where it goes with Swan, I guess it somewhat makes sense to have Vesper there. But it's yeah, I didn't quite get how that ties together or if that's even meant to. Um. See when I when I watched this, I, I and you saw that Vesper interrogation tape. 
my first reaction was, oh, that's 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 cool. That's cool that they have a little thing there, a little, a little reference back, and 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 Bond's reaction to it of just tossing it aside and and yeah, clearly not letting it affect him. Um, as a as a sign of that chapter of his life is is over. Um, he's moved on from it all now, and the pain and and uh, the trust and that was all that was happening with Quantum Solace, obviously, and even uh, Skyfall as well to an extent. So. I, I liked that idea that um, they were just highlighting that, I suppose. Um, but I also kind of think it was a little bit unnecessary. In this film, they are bringing back a lot of things. You mentioned how they're, they're showing loads of the old villains and it's all kind of link, linking together. And I guess I guess if they bring back Mr. White, it makes sense to at least mention Vespa. And they, they've brought back... It, it, yeah, it really reminded me of just how much they do reference in this you had the judy dench tape at the very beginning as well um they really weren't too shy at, at doing all these callbacks and i think that's fine that's fine to do all this stuff but it does also mean that you never really it's harder to then move from it you know what i mean like it's just yeah. the film's always being kind of bogged down by the history of it and i get that that is tied to bond's character characterization and where they're taking that character now growing it but at, at a certain point, I just kind of want them to move on, which doesn't even happen with the next one either, really. So it, I'm in two minds. Like, sometimes I like it because I think, well, if they've done that, being like Mr. White bringing back, wh- why wouldn't they at least maybe mention something about Vespa or they brought back Judy Dench? Why would they not bring back, I don't know, a picture of Silver? You know, so those all link together and that's fine. But on the other hand, when I take a step back and look at the film, it does just feel very much like more of the same in a way. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it does. I don't think it robs this film of its own identity. I think that's a little bit too far, but obviously that's where this is. That's, this is what ultimately happens when you have this stuff too much. Yeah. Um, it might be because Swan is looking sad, looking at her past with the pictures. Maybe that's what it is that Bond is like looking at his past and instead just throws it away. Um, it might be some parallels there, maybe something like that. But yeah. I feel like like Vespa gets mentioned later, and I feel like that mention would have been more effective if this tape wasn't here. But I potentially feel like they mentioned Vespa here to set up the mention later in the film, <laughs> so oh, it doesn't I'm come sure out. Sure, you're right. Yeah, you're probably spot on with that. But it's almost like I think that mention would have been way more effective if this you weren't reminded of it. Because I think at this point, they need to be focusing on Bond and Swan. It, it needs to be those two. Like, that's the big thing. Um, I don't think we necessarily need that. Although I guess you can try and look at some of Bond stuff to show him potentially being more open to a connection again. I don't think they do a good job overall in this film showing that, where this is where it goes. But I guess you kind of need to look back at the past. I don't know. I, I'm kind of the same as you in two minds, a little bit unsure about it i guess i probably would have preferred it wasn't there like it's an interesting thing to think about but maybe it would have been a stronger film without it especially because this doesn't really go anywhere unless you think it it's mm, yeah it's it's tricky but i still like the idea of this roman mr white and it it does kind of make sense but you know again fundamentally some people are just not going to like any of this stuff because of all all the the throwbacks i'm not necessarily in that camp but yeah maybe if they took this one out if they took out some of the picture references, it would have maybe landed a bit better. Maybe yeah. felt a little less forced. I think so too. 
So after that, we cut to London. We have a pan down to uh, some people walking across a big... I think it might be the same place that we saw Bond walking before, actually. Yeah, there's like this giant circle. It might be Whitehall, because they mentioned the name Whitehall. It's like, it's you get these aerial shots of it, but yeah, just a huge like courtyard, but it's like a circle courtyard. Yeah, and it's M and Moneypenny, and they're heading inside. We see him inside heading into a room, and C's there. And actually, it looks as if something's just wrapping up, because apparently there was a, a meeting about uh, the Nine Eyes program and, and uh, South Africa and all, this, all that sort of stuff. But MI6 weren't informed about the rescheduling of it. So they, uh, they've turned up late and they've missed it all kind of going on. And now South Africa are on board. We saw on the TV there was a terrorist attack. So they're now all about the data. They want to get in on the data and the safety of it and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, uh, C is coming out to, to talk to M and Moneypenny. And they start to walk through some of the corridors and they're talking. And yeah, so it's now been sanctioned, this Nine Eyes program. And the system apparently is going to go live in less than 72 hours, C is saying. And uh, he also starts to talk about how he's been asked to head the new committee of it. And he's been speaking to the Home Secretary. And it's uh, been a decision to close down the double O program. And uh, it's kind of, you know, C is saying this with a lot of, uh, smarminess to him. Well, you know, kind of uh, holding back a little bit, but you can tell that like, he's actually enjoying it all. Uh, he's saying that you know it's not personal, it's the future to M, and then says, and you're not. And, uh, yeah, saying this in a very, very kind of villainous way, like really enjoying it, to which M replies that you're a cocky little bastard, um, in only the way that Ralph Fiennes can say. And... I think he ends just by saying this isn't over yet, basically, and walks off. So it's a very quick scene, just setting up that the Nine Eyes stuff is still progressing. But I really do. The, the main thing I love about this scene is just how it ends. So yeah, M and Money Penny there with C. M walks off after saying that. Money Penny goes to walk off, and she gives this little like, "You want some?" As she walks past C, there's just this tiny little like step forward from her, like, "Come on, then," uh, and then off she walks. But yeah, that's really it. It's all just so juvenile, this stuff. It's it's crazy that they decided to go in this direction. As you say, Moneypenny is like, mm. it's like something from Mean Girls, where it's just <laughs> M says, like, come on, girls, and Moneypenny leaves, and it's like, hmm, you're lame. Uh, but yeah, it's just so juvenile between the between these people. It's just a, a big shame. So, I mean, it's not great for all the reasons we already described with the last C scene, like the damage was already done. But yeah, yeah, this plays out in such a juvenile, silly, childish way. It's like, oh, we rescheduled the meeting. Didn't you know? It's like, no. Well, come on. Like, they would have (laughs) had M involved. Like, don't don't give us that. Like, that's so stupid. (laughs) They wouldn't do that uh, behind his back. They just wouldn't. And especially because of, like, how much weight they put behind about the Double O program. Like, they had a a public committee with a member of parliament to decide this before with Judy Dench. Like, they did that. And now this one was just, like, a behind-the-doors meeting that M didn't get invited to. It's like, mm. yeah, it, it feels a bit too high school for me. Um, and also, it's bad for all the other reasons we already described with this storyline. Yeah, it just really... This whole scene just really hammered home to me. I really don't care about this stuff. And I should care. They did a good job of of making me care more in Skyfall. As you say, they set it up more officially 
or is this it's just all these little things going on in the background we don't even see and uh, yeah it's just whatever by this point and also i don't like c so that doesn't help either that will do it so after that we we see a big wide shot of a train leaving tangier um and we're back to bond and swan so yeah it's leaving the city it's kind of an old style train. You see Bond walking down and giving some, uh, giving a suit to be pressed to one of the attendants in it. And I think it ones... is. Uh, I looked this up. It's called like the Oriental Desert Express. Oh, so it's a real train. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I do wonder, like, where it eventually goes. Is that real? Is there a train that just goes pretty much nowhere? That's kind of interesting. I mean, whether they use CGI or not, I don't know. But like, yeah, this is meant to be one of those trains. So you obviously got the famous Oriental Express, which that was from Russia with Love, right? So this yep. is like the desert version of it, which I believe is a real train. Right, okay. So, yeah, it's kind of that one that's got all the, the individual booths inside and Bond goes into one and there's Swan sitting inside and uh, he sits down opposite her and brings out a gun and starts to tell her about how to use a gun and how to protect herself in, you know, for what they're coming up against soon, uh, which she's having none of. She is very adamant that she hates guns. She refuses to... To do any of this sort of stuff um which bond kind of glosses over and and starts to go over it anyway so he starts to point out the trigger and this that and whatever and how to how to point point and squeeze i think he says at the end of it so it's just yeah how to take a shot um and he kind of puts it on the table and pushes over to her and swan picks it up and very swiftly and very confidently unloads it and yeah she knows what she's doing, basically, um, gets it already. And she starts to say about how uh, when she was younger, a man came to their house to kill her father. And um, but, uh, and there was like a gun under the sink or something like that. So she's been introduced to guns for, you know, ever since child, basically. She's grown up with that sort of life. So no surprises that she is. She knows her stuff when it comes to this. But that's why she hates guns. Um and Bond is just like, I don't have to teach you anything, do I? Uh, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a setup to Swan being uh, capable, which I think is kind of, yeah, it's at least they make a bit of effort to show, because usually with these sort of Bond girl situations, they usually say like, oh yeah, I work for the CIA, or I'm actually part of the what and what agency. So that's kind of how they'd be like, all right, yeah, she can use a gun. Whereas this time they're giving the background of her upbringing and the family she was linked to is how she would know this sort of stuff, which I think works. Hmm. Yeah, it all makes sense. It all comes together. And it's almost a little bit more understated, as you kind of mentioned about the CIA stuff, where before they would always have to make a, a huge point about it. But this one, yeah, a little bit more understated. She's just like, I don't like guns. And then she, like, again, a lot of this stuff with Swan so far, I do feel like individually, I think the scenes are all right, but it is stuff that's not all that groundbreaking, all that different, really. It is just like, you know, we've seen this before. It's just like, oh, well, she can use a gun. But again, they do make it a little bit more understated and not as, as mm. exaggerated, which I think works well. And we've already seen that Swan can get stuff done, like with the syringe in the back of the car. Yeah. So there was already like a little bit of a hint towards that. This isn't just like, oh, well, you're a... You, you, oh, I didn't suspect this. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, they do do a little bit more subtly than this. Um I, I did want to ask, though, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Is what she's talking about with someone trying to kill her father when she was young, is that the beginning of No Time to Die? No, I thought it was. 
but I don't think it is because later we, I think we make, we learn what that was in this film. Ah, okay, all right. I don't remember what that was, but when I saw this scene, it did make me think of that, which I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of cool, but it, yeah. it sounds like that's not the case. Yeah, because uh, I did think that too, because it does line up so well, but I think it is slightly different. Okay. Um, but yeah, after that, we, we cut back to, we're back in London again, and we're seeing the shot of M sitting in a restaurant. It's a very fancy looking restaurant. There's paintings all over the wall. This is a real restaurant. It's one that I actually kind of want to go to at some point in London. It's called Rules, um, but it's very expensive, oh. <laughs> obviously. But I would really like to go there because you can even like sit at that same table that M sits at. Um, but yeah, he's there. It's all very moody. He's enjoying his wine. And uh, Money, Penny, and Q arrive. They come from um, from behind and enter, and they're there to update M on Bond's whereabouts and what he's up to. Q, having come back from Austria, he's kind of got information to say and how his Bond's on onto something there. And uh, Money, Penny's got this little map, and uh, she's saying how the land in this this area is is registered just as desert, um, but actually. Satellite imagery is showing that there's a, a fully blown base set up there in this in this crater. So um, that's where Bond is heading. And M kind of just shuts him down very quickly and, and says that we can't help. We can't help Bond. Uh, he's just learned that C is spying on them. Um, so anything that they do is just handing over information to C. And Bond is basically better off on his own at this point and... He goes to leave. He tells Q to delete the smart blood files. And that, yeah, Bond is, is basically on his own now, which we've heard that quite a lot. <laughs> Bond is on his own. But it, in this circumstance, it, it makes sense that, yeah, you know, like, he now knows that they are tracking everyone. So just shut it down, like shut down that link. Yeah, I like this idea. Uh, the the problem is just, you know, this ties into the C storyline. So it's yeah. not that great. But the idea is pretty good that we get this. Like, oh, we can actually help Bond out by leaving him alone. I think that's quite cool. That's quite a good thing to think about. And, you know, I do like the idea of M kind of doing something to have Bond's back. But again, it, it's kind of a little bit betrayed by the fact that Bond didn't really trust M at the beginning. So I kind of would have liked if this was more of a continuation of the trust they're supposed to have, even mm. with their disagreements. Uh, I think that's what it's kind of supposed to be, but it does fall a little bit flat because of that, and it also falls a little bit flat because this is tied to the C storyline, but in a vacuum, yeah, it's quite a neat idea that MI6 has to detach from Bond because they're everywhere, and Spectre's everywhere. It's almost what we got a little bit in Quantum of Solace about Quantum being everywhere and who can you trust. It's just not quite of a, a focus, which I find quite interesting as a whole. Quantum is a small part of Spectre, but the quantum film focuses a lot more about they're everywhere, and Spectre is a, has that stuff in there, but not massively. Um, I wonder if maybe they just didn't want to retread that ground. It would have just felt like rehashing quantum, so it's it's there, but not so much. You know, maybe that was a smart choice. I don't know, um, but but I think the idea is is pretty solid on its own. Yeah, they they had that they had the line by dying, Mister White, and I think that was enough to to get it like get the point across that they're everywhere i think um that you're right i think quantum of solace did it in a more interesting way especially uh good old uh mitchum was that his Mi name mitchell mitchell mitchum yeah. i don't know where <laughs> mitchum from house of cards i think um yeah mitchell yeah that, you know that was like a good way of being like right under their nose sort of thing but they've done that they don't need to carry on with that sort of stuff um 
anyway. the surveillance thing, the surveillance and stuff, and them being controlling the data, that, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's just been fumbled too much at this point. Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part two of episode 24 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Joe next time where Mr. Higgs ambushes Bond on a train, the WO agent program is disbanded, and Franz reveals all to Bond about his past. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part three. 